Now, we are in a series of messages that we are calling a a personal reformation. We've made a, a shift because this summer, as most of you know, we talked about a summer reformation as we focused on the great reformation truths that God used by his spirit to revolutionize his people hundreds of years ago. And that incredible gospel revolution has continued to this very day on those truths of the great reformation. This is a five hundredth anniversary of what's commonly believed to be the beginning of the Reformation, Martin Luther nailing those 95 theses to the door of the uh, Wittenberg Chapel. And so with that uh, resounding hammer, uh, there was truth that echoes to this very day. But it's not truth that came from Martin Luther or the other reformers, it's truth found in the Word of God, right? And that's the source of truth, and God blessed his truth. But what we want to do now this fall is to think about our own personal reformation. What does it matter if the world has known a reformation, if churches have known reformation, if others have known reformation, but we don't know it ourselves? A personal reformation. Now, last week we began with the example of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who could be called the the proto-disciple. The proto-disciple. He was actually the forerunner of Jesus, but he was also a follower of Jesus. He was just looking uh, for his coming. He was looking to make the announcement, but he had a heart for Christ before Christ ever began his public ministry. And you remember, we saw last week, that his disciples were so concerned that the thousands were leaving John the Baptist and they were beginning to follow this rabbi from Nazareth, Jesus. And they were concerned and they shared that concern with John and John said, this is as it should be. He said, I'm just the bridegroom. He, he's the bridegroom, I'm just the best man. And I rejoice that he has come. I rejoice in his voice. I rejoice what he's doing to gather out his bride. Then he said, he must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. And that is exactly what happened. John continued to decrease, and Jesus continued to increase. And we read about this beginning in verse 14. Would you notice our text? Begins with John and the decreasing and the increasing. Now, after John was arrested, verse 14 says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, John decreased. He preached against the sin of Herod, and Herod had him put in prison. And there in prison, he met his fate as he was beheaded. But as he was decreasing in his public ministry, Jesus was increasing. But now notice, the message of these two men were exactly alike. 
The message of Jesus was the message of John. He continued the message of John. It says that Jesus came preaching exactly what John had been preaching. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The same message. Friends, sometimes we are told that we really only need to listen to the words of Jesus. As if Jesus and his disciples disagreed with each other. What's the first word that came out of Jesus' mouth as he began his public ministry? The first words as he began his teaching ministry that are recorded for us, the word repent. The time is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The king is here. The kingdom is present in the king. He is the king. I have arrived. Now repent. Turn from your sins and turn to me and believe in the gospel, the good news that I am bringing. And folks, today we have the same message. The message of John the Baptist, the message of Jesus, is our message. The kingdom of God is at hand. The, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the king, is here, mighty to save. Now repent and believe the good news. Turn to him. The message has not changed. And I want you to see now, it's with that message that Jesus called his first disciples. And Jesus has been calling his disciples ever since that day with that same message. It's the same message he began to call his first disciples. Look at verse 16 that Fred read for us a few minutes ago. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat, mending the nets. And immediately, and the word in Mark, if you read Mark, that key word is immediately. <laughs> the gospel of action. Immediately, he called them. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Jesus called them. Preaching this message, he called them individually. It's out of the message to everyone that Jesus calls each one. So he called these fishermen and then he continued his ministry and he began to call others. Look at chapter two. I want you to turn the page if you would to chapter two. Jesus continued to call people and as he's there in that area of Capernaum, it says this in verse 13 of chapter two, he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi. Now Levi also, this is Matthew. He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, 
follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his, that is in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Now, that is incredible, isn't it? It's incredible, but it's unchangeable. Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, by the message of the gospel, is still calling out to the crowds, but guess what? Thank God he comes by to individuals like you and me, and he calls us individually. Isn't that wonderful? And so the call is personal. The call is always personal. And so what I'd like us today in our series, this personal reformation, as we approach the table of the Lord here in a few moments to take our time of communion together, I want us to see that reformation, personal reformation, always involves redirection. It always involves redirection. I want us to think for a moment from these stories of the calling of these disciples, how the Lord wants us to understand that in personal reformation, there is a redirection. Now, a few weeks ago, a young pastor asked me to meet with him and talk about things of ministry, and of course, I was glad to do that. I always enjoy talking with younger pastors. And he asked me if we'd meet at Starbucks, and I said, sure, be glad to do that. So we, we met at Starbucks, and here's what he asked me. He said, after these, all these years, he said, what has been the main theme of your ministry? After all these years, what's been the main theme of your ministry? Now, my first thought was, I knew we should have met at Dunkin' Donuts. I, I knew that. Because people don't ask questions like that at Dunkin' Donuts. At Dunkin' Donuts, people ask questions like, how about them balls? You know, that, that's the kind of question you get at Dunkin' Donuts. What a question, though. What has been the main theme of your ministry? I'd never been asked that question before, but I thought for a minute, and the answer I said was this. Well, I guess it's just summed up in this. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. That's what is the passion of my heart and my passion for people is to follow Jesus. All of life is wrapped up in that simple, radical truth of following Jesus. Now, if I might this morning, as we look at how Jesus called these disciples to a redirection, I wonder if I might just share with you these four lessons that have come to my mind as I've thought over this passage this week. Four lessons about personal reformation from this passage of Scripture. The first I see is this, is that when the Lord calls us as a disciple, it is a redirection of my priorities. There's a redirection of my priorities. Being a disciple of Jesus, friends, listen, is a radical thing. It is not a little thing to become a follower of Jesus. It's not just a slight change in your direction. To become a follower of Jesus is a radical, radical thing. 
It requires, as you'll see here in in these texts, a radical abandonment. There's a radical abandonment in being a follower of Jesus. Look at verse 18. It says, and immediately they left their nets. Immediately they left their nets. They abandoned their nets. It's a strong word here. And they followed him. Now, folks, understand that when Peter and Andrew and James and John left their nets, fishing was not a hobby for them. This, this was not, let's go out on weekends and, and drown a worm or two in the Sea of Galilee. This is their business. This is their livelihood. And Jesus did this. He called them to leave it all for him. When he said, follow me, what he was saying is, leave it all for me. My friends, that call, listen carefully, has never changed. That call has never changed. Because you see, the call to abandon all, listen carefully what I'm about to tell you. The call to abandon all is not a call to leave something. It is a call to follow someone. That's what the call is. When Jesus calls you to be his disciples, he calls you to radical abandonment. Not necessarily will you leave something like you will leave the nets or leave that place of business. It's not that. It's greater than that. It's not leaving something. It is following someone. And how many of you know this morning you cannot follow Jesus and stay where you are? You cannot follow Jesus and stay where you are. It was a radical Abandonment, But then also notice in that call, uh, there was also a call to a radical alignment. A radical alignment. What did he say? Look at verse 18. It says, he told them, follow me. Verse 18, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. They left their nets and followed him him to become a Christian is to become a Christ follower to become a Christian is to become a Christ follower the definition of a Christian is not to accept certain facts about Jesus as being true that is not what it means to be a Christian The Bible says even the demons believe facts about Jesus and they tremble. To be a Christian is not to believe certain facts. It's not to hold to a creed. Christianity is based on facts. Christianity has a creed of truth and doctrine that it teaches. But Christianity at its essence is to follow Christ. What is a Christian? A Christian 
is a follower of Christ. He is, Christians are the party of Christ. That's what it meant. These Christ followers, these Christ ones. A Christian is a follower of Christ. And friends, listen, let me tell you something about Christ this morning. Christ is not a historical figure. Christ is a living Lord. He is alive. You're not being asked to follow a historical figure. You're being asked to follow the one that we sang about this morning who is alive and he is Lord. To become a Christian is to become a Christ follower. To become a Christian, listen carefully, is to become a disciple. Is to become a disciple. What is a disciple? Here's a good definition. A disciple is one who places himself or herself under the authority of another for instruction and guidance. Let me give that to you again. A disciple is one who places himself or herself under the authority of another for instruction and for guidance. A Christian is a disciple of Jesus. By the grace of God, he or she has come under the authority of Christ for instruction and for guidance. A Christian is a disciple. And if you are not one, you're not the other. There's no such thing as a Christian who is not a disciple. That is a contradiction in term. If you are not a follower of Jesus, if you have not come under his authority for instruction and guidance, you have not yet become a Christian. A Christian is a disciple. So you see, friends, when the Lord calls us, he calls us for personal redirection, doesn't he? And he brings a redirection of our priorities. We follow him. But then also notice these disciples also have this common denominator, a redirection of their purpose. Jesus gives them a new purpose. Jesus gave to every follower a radical assignment. I want to use that word radical. Simple, but a radical assignment. What was it? Look at verse 17. Here is the radical assignment given not just to pastors, missionaries, and evangelists, but this is the assignment given to every Christian, every disciple. Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Fishers of men. There's going to be a redirection of a disciple's purpose. Now, what is Jesus doing here with these first disciples, the first four disciples? Peter, Andrew, James, and John. He is reforming their occupation. He's reforming their occupation. You might notice this. He's connecting, listen carefully, he's connecting their occupation with their vocation. 
You say, oh, wait a minute, they're the same thing, Sam. Your occupation is your vocation. No, 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 no. There's a reason they're different words. They're different words because they have different meaning. Occupation comes from occupare, Latin, which means what you do with your work, your work, your activity. Vocation comes from the word vocare, which means your calling, your calling. They're not the same thing. Your occupation, listen carefully, as a Christian, your occupation is what you do, but your vocation is who you serve. Follow that? Your occupation is what you do, but that's not your vocation. Your vocation is who you serve because guess what? Someone called you. What is a vocation? It is a calling, and it is about who called you. Jesus called you. Now, what's so beautiful here is Jesus is connecting these men, these first disciples. Do you see what he's doing? He's connecting their occupation with the vocation that he's giving them. He said, follow me, and I will make you to become. They're not at that yet. He's going to make them into something. I will make you to become fishers of men. What's their occupation? They're fishermen. But what is the calling? Follow me, and I'm going to reform your occupation to a calling whereby you will fish for men. Jesus does the same to all who follow him. We're called to follow him. And if we follow him, what every occupation we have, that occupation is holy. There is nothing more holy about being a pastor than being a truck driver. If God has called you to be a pastor, then being a pastor is a holy thing. If God has called you to be a truck driver, then being a truck driver is a holy thing. So how does the Lord do that? Well, think about it. If you're a teacher, he says, Teach disciples. Teach people. Teach them about me. Be my light as you teach. If you're an engineer, build the kingdom. If you're a mechanic, that's great, that's holy. I'm going to use you to repair lives. If you're in customer service, I've called you while you're in customer service. Now, You're going to serve people and serve me. You're in administration. Now I'm going to use you in my ministry as you're in administration. You say, well, I'm retired. (laughs) Nice try. (laughs) Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh. You're going to be refired. That's what we're going to do. What impact? When we have our reformation redirection, a redirection of my priorities when Jesus calls me, a redirection of my purpose, but now notice this there's a redirection of my partnerships. 
The first four disciples had always been together. Two sets of brothers. Simon, Andrew, James, and John. Many Bible scholars think that they were cousins. And they all were called together and they all enlisted together. And so they start following Jesus in his Galilee ministry. And it's, it's them, therefore. Oh, wow, this is great. Look what Jesus is doing. This is, this is nice, the four of us getting to do this. This is wonderful. You know, we know each other so long, though, what good fellowship we have because we have such great fellowship. And we're familiar with each other. Wow, this is going to be great. We're following Jesus, but we all know each other, and we're just alike, and we have so much in common. And then Jesus shook up their partnership. Man, did he shake it up. Look at the next guy he called. Look at chapter 2. Do you remember that? Verse 13. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. Public ministry, but then the personal call. And he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And you can hear Simon, Andrew, James, and John saying, say what? In Aramaic, but saying that. <laughs> what? Why? 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 They, they know this guy. He's the tax collector in their town, their town, seashore town. Guess who he taxes? Fishermen. He's a Jewish person serving Rome, he's collecting taxes for Rome. And he has a certain amount he has to get. And whatever he can get above that, he gets to keep for himself. He's considered a traitor. He's Rome's tax collector. And he's there taking in their taxes. Every time they bring their boat in, there's Levi. Hello, Simon. How's the catch? James, John, looks like the boat's a little low in the water. Let me help you take a little of that out. Can you imagine the tension when Levi starts following? Talk about cutting it with a knife. They probably wanted to cut him with a knife. But it gets worse. Jesus hadn't even started yet. It gets worse. Look at verse 15. And he reclined at table in his house. Whose house? Levi's house. Built with his money. Made how? And he threw a party for tax collectors and sinners. It's a whole convention of tax collectors and their buddies, the sinners. Translate sinners, lowlifes. Okay. It's, it's in the Greek, but you got to dig that out. Low life. That's what it means. Sinful people, not good people. 
Now, how are they supposed to accept this? How are they supposed to defend it? Now they're being asked to defend this. Verse 16, bad enough to have to accept it, but to have to defend it. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his, what's the next word? Disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now they gotta defend this. They don't even understand it. What in the world is going on? This is the kingdom of God? This is it? These guys in on this with us? And with one statement, listen, Jesus clarifies his business. It's not their business. Matter of fact, it's none of their business. It's his business. And he clarifies the whole thing about his business and he clarifies their partnership. He says, you're my partners? Let me tell you about our partnership. Here it is, verse 17. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, do you get the little extra sting in that? Do you get it? Who did I come to call? Sinners. Didn't I call you? So what's that make you? I came to call sinners. And if you're not a sinner, just like these people are sinners, then you have no part in me. Because I didn't come for people who don't need help. I came from people who need help. Do you think you need help? You think you're better than others? You think you're better than these tax collectors and sinners? Let me tell you, this is my business. When I said you're going to fish for men, I didn't mean nice little clean, pristine goldfish. Uh-uh. Some of that low stuff, that mudden kind of fish. But I can clean them just as I cleaned you. It doesn't take one bit more of my grace to save them than it took to save you. How do you feel about that? You see, when we start thinking ourselves sinners, but we're sort of a higher class of sinners, we don't get it at all because the Bible says we have all sinned and what? Come short of the glory, the standard of God. What difference does it make if you go to hell having committed 10 million sins or 10 billion sins? It's still hell. And it doesn't take one more drop of the blood of the Lord Jesus to save the one that we would think is the farthest from the kingdom. Now, why would anybody go along with this? And this just brings us to the table. Why would anybody do this? Why didn't Simon, Andrew, 
James and John say, enough. If these guys are following Jesus too, I'm not going. Why did they not do that? Because they had in their heart a radical passion for Jesus Christ. They were following him. Why were they following Jesus? Because they'd come to believe that Jesus was worth it. And however he wants to reform my purposes, however he wants to get in my business and change my occupation for his vocation, whatever he wants to do about bringing people around me I'm not comfortable with, taking me into houses I'm not comfortable being there, letting me eat with people I've never been seen with a day in my life, if he wants to do that, he's worth it because I love him. Why follow Jesus, church? I tell you, there's one reason why to follow Jesus. It's not to get to heaven when you die. Thank God that's the outcome. Why follow Jesus? Because it's Jesus we get to follow. And he is the pearl of great price. He is the treasure in the field. And we count the joy of knowing him greater than everything else the world can offer. And we just count it as trash that we may know him. Let's bow our heads. Our heads are bowed, friends. Let's make this very personal as we come now to take communion because communion reminds us of the preciousness of Jesus, reminds us of his great love and how we are bound to him by his sacrifice and by his great love. And let's prepare now as we are receiving this cup and this bread to repledge our discipleship to Jesus. Will you do that right now? Will you say, Jesus, just lead me? You came to me in my sin. I thought I was in business, but I was in sin. I thought I had a a thriving company, but I was in sin. I thought I was enjoying life, but you reached me. And you called me. I've heard your voice. And I love you, Jesus. This would be a good moment for some of us who've strayed off. Let's get back in line, right? Let's follow Jesus. If you're following some boyfriend or girlfriend... No, follow Jesus. If you're following the crowd, no, follow Jesus. If you're following money, wow, follow the treasure, Jesus. Follow Jesus. Right now, give your life to Jesus. If never before, right now, surrender. Become a disciple. Become a Christian. 
Repent of your sins. Believe this good news that Jesus is calling you. And rise. Follow him. Lord, bless now as we take this bread. May we treasure the truth of you, the bread of life.